Welcome to LifePoint Church. Our mission is to glorify God and make gospel-driven disciples by engaging people in the unexpected joy of a life more and more dependent on Jesus. Genesis chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old shall, among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah your wife shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time 
next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael his son, and all those born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men in Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and Ishmael his son was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. I have a question for you. <clears throat> what does it really feel like to be known as a follower of God through Christ? I mean, how do you feel about making it known to others that you are a follower of Christ? Like at work, or in your neighborhood, or at school? Does it sort of make you uncomfortable? Does it make you feel sort of self-conscious? Or if you talk about it, do you feel like you're sort of showing off or arrogant in a way? Or maybe is it risky to you, even dangerous for you, to make yourself known as a Christ follower? Do you deliberately make it known that you're a Christ follower? Or do you make comments in ordinary conversation about your relationship with Christ? Or do you consciously avoid letting it be known and letting it get out that you follow Christ? In our current culture, what does it feel like to you to be known as a Christ follower? Is it a positive thing? Or is it a negative thing? In our text today, Genesis chapter 17, we have the story of how God and Abram sealed a covenant relationship or an agreement between God that God had established between them. And this covenant, this agreement between them, determined how Abram was to be known as a follower of God. Now, a covenant relationship is a moral agreement between two parties, and it lists what each party is responsible for and what they're committed to do and what their responsibilities are. For God's side in this covenant agreement, God promises that Abram will be very fruitful with many descendants and that he will be the father of many nations and that his descendants will possess the land of Canaan. Now these promises in chapter 17 explain and maybe expand a little bit the original promises that God has already given in chapter 12 and chapter 15, which also talk about this covenant relationship. 
Let me just summarize the four major promises that God now has given to Abram. Abram would have a great name, which means that he would be leader of a ruling dynasty. Second, Abram's descendants would be multitudes, as numerous as the stars of heaven. Third, Abram's descendants would possess the land of Canaan as their own. And fourth, Abram's descendants would bring blessing to all nations of the earth. So God comes to this covenant sealing ritual, and he reveals a new name for himself. Verse 1, God comes down from heaven and appears to Abram, and he says, I am God, the Almighty One. Now in Hebrew, that Almighty One is El Shaddai. This is the first time that God reveals himself with that name. El Shaddai means all-powerful, and all-powerful especially when it comes to keeping his promises. He is the God who keeps promises. When he gives his word, he is mighty enough to get it done. In other words, El Shaddai is the God who gets it done. And he has made four very amazing promises to Abram, and now he declares himself to be the God who gets it done. What a strong name that is for him to sign this covenant relationship with Abram. In order to make his point, that he is the God who can get things done. El Shaddai speaks directly about Sarah and clearly promises that Sarah, in her old age of 90 years, will bear a son and his name will be Isaac. He read it in verse 14, As for Sarah, your wife, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Abram was absolutely astonished at this promise. And he fell on his face for the second time, but this time he laughed. himself. He had thought that when God promised him a son from his own body back in chapter 15 that he would father a son. Then he had fathered a son through the servant girl Hagar as we learned last week in Genesis chapter 16 just ahead of this. So Abram knows as a fact that Sarah cannot have children. So he assumes that somehow God is talking about blessing his descendants through Ishmael. But God contradicts Abram and says, no, but Sarah, your wife, 
shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. This is such an incredulous, humanly speaking, impossible promise. It just can't happen. But El Shaddai promises, I will get it done. I will keep my promise. Sarah herself shall bear a son, and his name will be Isaac. El Shaddai, the God who gets it done. That's God's side of this covenant relationship. As for Abram, we learn that when we enter into a covenant relationship with God Almighty, El Shaddai, it changes us radically. It changes, first of all, our identity. Not only does God reveal a new name for himself, but he changes the name of Abram and Sarai. Verse 5, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. Now his name Abram had meant exalted father, and even that was an embarrassment for him. For a long time he didn't even have a son, and yet he finally fathered one boy, Ishmael. He must have been teased by others a lot of times. Yeah, Father Abraham, so where's your kids? But now Father Abraham had at least one son, Ishmael, so maybe it wasn't so bad. But God now gives him an even harder name to live up to. Father of a multitude of nations. That's what Abraham means. God had said, even said, you will be a father of a multitude of nations. Yeah, Abraham, sounds great, but you only have one son, and your wife is barren. What are you trying to prove, Father Abraham? But God emphasizes this expanded future when he also changes the name of Sarai to Sarah. Now, Sarai means princes, but Sarah means royal princes, the mother of kings. She is 90 years old and beyond the time of bearing children, and now she is to have the name Sarah, royal princess, mother of kings. What a joke. It's just beyond imagination. It's humanly impossible. You see, when we are related to El Shaddai, he gives us names that have meaning only in our relationship to him. And our identity only makes sense in our relationship to God. We are nothing and nobody apart from God. Only our identity as children of God gives us an identity that is meaningful and significant.
But God also changes not only our identity, but our identifier, the sign that shows we belong to him. Verses 10 and 11, you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign, a sign, an identifier of the covenant between you and me. Circumcision is the cutting away of skin of the very private, personal part of the male body. It touches a man at the very core of his intimate, personal being. And God takes this practice of circumcision and he makes it a sign, an identifier of those who belong to him. It is a physical cutting away, but it has spiritual significance. First of all, it means a cutting away of our self-reliance, of our own physical and personal ability to accomplish things. Remember, Abraham had produced a son by his own personal power, but now with his old age and his wife's barrenness, his self-reliance is taken away. He could not produce a son without a miraculous intervention of God. Circumcision also meant a cutting away of the sinful connections with our old nature and our past, our past sinful history apart from God. We're not cut off from that. And this identifier cut Abraham off from his pagan religion and made him a follower of God, El Shaddai. God even warned Abraham that any male who refused to accept this sign of circumcision would be cut off from the covenant relationship with God. In verse 14, it is an identifier that identifies who we belong to, people who belong to God. Now in the New Testament, Paul argues that this physical circumcision means nothing at all if there is not also a change of heart. If the heart is sinful, then physical circumcision is of no avail whatsoever. A circumcised body and a sinful heart are at odds with each other. So rather than focus on this external right, Paul focuses on the condition of the heart, and he calls this change of the heart a circumcision of the heart. A person is not a Jew, he says, who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the Spirit. Romans chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2.11 especially illustrates this kind of spiritual circumcision. 
It says, in him, in Christ, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. So if circumcision is no longer the identifier for those who belong to God in the New Testament, what are the signs for us today in the New Testament era that identify us as followers of God? <clears throat> Many biblical scholars argue that the two Christian rituals of baptism and the Lord's Supper are the outward signs that identify us today as followers of God through Christ. Baptism, for example. Colossians chapter 2.11 seems to say that baptism is like circumcision of the heart. Quote, in him <clears throat> you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. Now, people <clears throat> who follow Reformed theology make a very close connection between circumcision and baptism. The argument goes like this. Since infants born into the Old Testament Jewish community were circumcised at eight days old, therefore infants born into the New Testament church community should also be baptized. However, we need to remember there are some differences between the sign of circumcision and the practice of baptism. Baptism is for believing adults as an indication of their faith in God. Circumcision was performed on infants eight days old and evidenced the faith of the parents. <clears throat> Baptism is a public sign, whereas circumcision was a private sign. Baptism is for all believers, male and female, while circumcision was only for the males. Now, we just witnessed the baptism of Zoe Baker. What a great thing. But even at her young age, she knew that her sins separated her from God. And so she made the decision herself to turn to Christ for forgiveness. Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for all of our sins and her sins. And Zoe trusts Christ now to forgive her all of her sins. And because she has received Christ as her Savior, God has given her the right to be called a child of God. And so her baptism this morning before family, <clears throat> friends, and this church is her way of identifying herself as a follower of God. And from now on, she shall be known as a child of God. 
one who has been redeemed out of sin and made righteous in Christ. In addition, the New Testament identifies communion or the Lord's Supper also as an identifier of our relationship with God. <clears throat> Luke chapter 22, verse 20. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, this cup is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. And this makes it clear that the Lord's Supper is an indicator that we are related by a covenant to Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we celebrate the death of our Savior and Lord in order to renew our communion with him, to nourish our souls spiritually with his life-giving sacrifice, and to show to the world that we have a new covenant relationship with God through Christ. This is an identifier that publicly declares that we belong to him. We are committed to him. We are dependent on him. And we will celebrate at the end of this service, the Lord's Supper. But there is one other thing that we need to learn from this chapter 17 about our covenant relationship with God. Our covenant relationship to God must be one of obedient faith. In verse 3, <clears throat> we read that when El Shaddai spoke to Abram and promised to be his God, the God Almighty, if he would walk before him with blameless integrity, now, the word blameless there does not mean sinless perfection. But in this context, it refers to honest integrity of heart. And when Abram's heart heard these words, he fell on his face. He was overwhelmed by the Almighty God who stood before him and said, I want to have a covenant relationship with you. And Abram bowed his head in worship and submission. Now, Abram, at this point, is now 99 years old. It has been 13 years since he has heard any word from God. And Abram, with Sarai's encouragement, had fathered a child named Ishmael. And it's evident that Abram really believed at this point that God was going to bless him and keep his promises through his son Ishmael. Look at Abram's reaction when El Shaddai tells him that his covenant will not be with Ishmael, but through a son born to his wife Sarah. Genesis 7, verse 16, I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And then Abraham fell on his face again, and this time he laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man 
who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And so Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham can't help himself. He laughs. This is just incredible. It's not believable. Now, I personally think that this is not total unbelief, but it's more a laugh of utter astonishment and amazement. Sometimes we do laugh when something is so amazing, so overwhelming, it's just hard to believe. And I believe this because of what it says in Romans chapter 4, verse 19. Let me quote. Abraham, it's talking about Abraham. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. The God who gets things done. Abraham acted on that kind of faith. He believed God, and he believed that God to do what he promised. And so he completes his faith by immediate obedience to God that very day. Abraham circumcises all the men in his household, including Ishmael, even though he knows that the covenant will be through the son of Sarah's, not yet born. You can read about this act of obedience in the last verses of this chapter. This is what we call the obedience of faith. By obeying God because of his faith in El Shaddai, Abram became known as the father of faith for generations of people after him. We begin this message by asking you how you felt about being known as a follower of God through Christ. Let me ask you now, in light of this study, how do you feel about making known to others that you belong to Christ? In a practical way, how do you feel about sharing your faith story with others? How do you share with others what God means to you, what God has done for you, what God brings to your life? Let me apply the points of this message to that question in order to help us move forward in our walk with the Lord. First of all, in making ourselves known as a follower of God, we need a deep, life-changing encounter with El Shaddai, the Almighty God, the one who keeps promises and gets things done, 
We need to have an encounter with him that erases all doubts about his power, his commitment to us, his love for us, his desire to do good for us. When Abraham met with El Shaddai, he fell on his face before God. When was the last time that you fell on your face before God, the Almighty? Not literally, but humbly and brokenly, totally overwhelmed. You bowed before him and you worshiped him. You let his fullness fill your heart and mind so that there was no more fear, there was no more doubt. Everything was swept away. And you rejoiced in who God is and what he promises to do for you. Jeremiah, I think, makes it so clear to us. He quotes God. This is God speaking. They shall be my people and I will be their God. I will not turn away from doing good to them. I will rejoice in doing good to them with all my heart and with all my soul. That's our God. And it should boggle our minds to imagine what it must mean if God who made the planets and the stars and the galaxies and the molecules and the protons and all the neutrons, and he rejoices with all his heart and with all his soul to do something good for us. He who did not spare his own son, how much more will he do in order to bring you to his presence in glory? We're often too timid about sharing our faith story with others because we don't have a very deep experience with God Almighty in our lives. If you don't know him deeply, you will not be bold to share him with others. Second, when you trust God as your savior, he changes who you are and gives you a new identity. So don't hide your identity. Through baptism and the Lord's Supper, let that identity be known. But beyond baptism and the Lord's Supper, there should be other identifiers in your life that make it known that you are a follower of God through Christ. So when someone asks you what you did over the weekend, tell them that you went to church. <laughs> Mention the Bible study you attend on Tuesday nights. Don't just mumble, I'm sorry, I can't come to your birthday, birthday party, I'm busy. Say, I can't come because I'm scheduled to work at my church's work day that weekend. You don't have to be obnoxious or irresponsible about it. Just make sure you're identi you identify yourself publicly with Jesus. Let people know somehow you're a follower of Christ. You'll be amazed at how often people will take the opportunity to press in on that little piece of information you've just shared. People often are interested in spiritual things and they want to talk about it. So with that little bit of permission, you can open the door 
to a good conversation. So convinced of God's power, we need to third, act out our faith. The power that we have with the indwelling Holy Spirit gives us the power because we believe in God and his promises, he gives us the power to do what we're so afraid to do. We must spend a lot of time in prayer and appropriating his, his power in us that will enable us to light, let our light shine before others so that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can make bold steps to share our faith story with those around us. I'd like to share a little story about my wife. This is with her permission. My wife loves people, and she's gotten acquainted with a lady who lives across the street from us. She is not a Christian, but she's very kind and very thoughtful. And when my wife, Jan, saw what the sharing the love people were making out here with all kinds of gifts that we could take and give to our neighbors, my wife jumped at the chance and she took one of those seasonal wreaths to hang on your door and she called up our neighbor lady and asked her to come over to our porch since it's hard for Jan to get around. And they talked for an hour, and get, Jan gave her the wreath, and she told her about our church, how Christ loves us, and how we love to serve others by sharing our love with them. And this lady was just thrilled. She even sent us a donation to give to the volunteers who make the gifts. And she promised to come to church with us soon. By faith in God, she took the courage to share just simple words of faith with the neighbor. So we come to this conclusion today. Our faith in God Almighty changes who we are and how we identify ourselves with others. Our faith in El Shaddai changes who we are and how we identify ourselves with others. And so now we're going to invite you to join us in communion service, a second way of identifying ourselves as followers of God. This is only for those who are followers of God. This is only for those of you who have made that decision and you want to declare before others that you belong to him. This is a private kind of thing. It's when you come and we join together in doing this, but we're renewing our commitment to God Almighty, who sent his Son so that he could provide for the forgiveness of our sins and to give us eternal life, conquering death and sin once and for all. 
And by this act, we are renewing our relationship with Him, our communion with Him, our dependence upon Him. Prepare your hearts now to renew your pledge to God Almighty. That concludes LifePoint Church's podcast. For more information about our church, visit sharethelife.org.